listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture this morning is from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 16 through chapter 3, verse 5. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. Upon my bed at night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The sentinels found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go, until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the wild does, do not stir up or awaken love until it is ready. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks And thanks, Julie, for that reading. Do not stir up love until it is ready. I hope you guys are ready to stir up some love. <laughs> um, <clears throat> out of curiosity, did anyone this past week take a stab out of reading Song of Songs, perusing it, skimming it? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. For those who did, just like shout out thoughts, reactions. What, what, what emotions or feelings did you have reading any of that? Confusion? That's fair. Confusion. Yeah? The other stuff? Maybe it's not dealing with people. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's layers here. Yeah? Anything else? It's your homework this week. Everyone needs to read Song of Songs and come back willing to share next week. Got it? Got that? No. Um, <clears throat> so we started a new series last week on Song of Songs, uh, this collection of ancient Jewish love poetry that we find in our Bibles. And um, every week, I always say that like, if you, if you weren't here last week, if you missed last Sunday's sermon, go online and listen to what you missed. This time, though, I really mean it. Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, you should really go online and listen to what you missed. Um, we set up a lot of stuff for this, uh, this series. We also shared some important disclaimers, which I'm actually going to put back uh, on the slides. I'm not going to go through these in detail, um, but I know not everyone was here last Sunday for this. Um, in brief... Elementary kids aren't going to be in the room for this series because we're going to get into some, some serious stuff, some adult themes. Um, sigh of relief for all the parents, I know. Uh, this book is also um, explicitly sexual and explicitly hetero, um, which is a big part of just its context and the time that it came out. Um, but I'm going to do my best through this series to navigate Song of Songs inclusively. Um, and then... Last but not least, just knowing that this is a tender subject for a lot of us, um, I gave a heads up about next week and the following Sunday, uh, the 12th and the 19th, 
Those are the two weeks we're going to be getting into some more explicit territory. So if this is a particularly sensitive subject for you, um, you know, we're not, we're not going to be getting into anything too heavy, um, but you never know what could be triggering. Um, so if you, if you choose to worship from home those weeks or sit toward the back of the sanctuary so you can make a, a quiet exit if you need to, totally okay, uh, thumbs up. You're good for today, though. I don't think we'll be getting into anything too wild today. Um, I also mentioned last week, we're going to be hosting an event here at church on Tuesday, March 21st at 6.30 p.m. It's called Seeking Safety. Uh, we're bringing in some folks from Agape Counseling Associates out in Penfield, and they're going to be doing a presentation on um, sexual trauma, relational trauma, and, and healing. If this is a particularly sensitive topic for you, um, or if there are people in your life who have been through this sort of trauma, and, and, and there are, uh, trust me, there are, the statistics are staggering, um, you'll want to mark your calendars and try to be here for this event. Uh, this is going to be a really uh, good and important uh, event. So mark your calendars. There's more info on that in your bulletins. One other bit of review uh, from last Sunday. We made a connection um, between Song of Songs and the opening chapters of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. Um, it's really important when we read the Bible to follow all the hyperlinks, right? To catch all the little connections, similarities between different stories. And with Song of Songs, you've got poetry about two lovers, uh, a man and a woman, who are together in a garden. I mean, it's, it's right there. And so we, we put up this picture last week, um, illustrating human nature according to the opening chapters of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 2, we meet Adam. Adam, of course, Hebrew word for humanity. So when we hear this story on the opening pages of our Bible, we are hearing the story of humanity. And humanity, we're told, exists in a series of relationships. There's a relationship with God, uh, the earth, creation. There is a relationship with uh, spouse, partner, friend, companion, other people. We can make that a broad category. And then there's a relationship with the self. And we talked last week about how in the Garden of Eden, all four of these start out perfect in the story, but they all fall apart. And what Song of Songs does by zeroing in on this spousal relationship, normally we talk about the vertical, and that's what we're going to get into today, us and God, but by zooming in on the spousal relationship, Song of Songs is calling us back to this Eden ideal. And so what we're going to do in this series I am not going to preach line by line through Song of Songs. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to go verse by verse through a collection of erotic love poems. You don't want me unpacking the Hebrew of this book, um, all the double entendres, right? You, you, you know, what, what the lover means by nards giving off fragrance. You, you don't want that. I don't want that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. Um, instead, someone said thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Instead, over the next four weeks, uh, the plan is to examine each one of these relationships, each one of these relational fronts, um, in light of Song of Songs, and trying to see what kind of wisdom this book has for us in our relationship with God, the self, creation, and other people. And we're starting today with the vertical one, God and desire. Song of Songs has the distinction of being one of only two books in the Bible that don't mention God. Uh, the other is Esther, so when that question comes up on Final Jeopardy, you're ready. Um, but Song of Songs and Esther both, 
you can read the whole book, you're not going to find um, the word God in there. But desire is all over this book. One of the biggest themes, the most repeated themes in Song of Songs is desire. The two lovers have a desire for each other. They yearn to be together. They're always searching for each other. This theme uh, really comes out uh, in the passage for this morning that Julie shared for us. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. Upon my bed at night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I mentioned this last Sunday, um, but one of the traditional ways that Christians through, the his, through history, through the centuries, have interpreted this book is as being a metaphor for God's love for us. And you can really see in this passage, I'll go back a slide, Micah, you can really see in this passage how they landed at that reading. Um, I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. That could be the voice of someone who's in love, uh, unrequited love, or that could be the soul crying out for God. That could even be God searching for us, right? There's all kinds of layers to this. This could be a love song. It could be romantic love poetry, or it could work as a prayer. And what if we don't have to choose? What if this isn't an either-or situation, but both-and? See, I think part of the wisdom this book is getting at is it's helping us make the connection between romantic love, that feeling of being in love, and the soul's love, the soul's desire for God. There's some mystical way in which those two things are connected, they're linked, they're similar. Often I think we treat our desires as something bad, something dirty, uh, dangerous. Even desires uh, have to be checked. They have to be suppressed, hidden away. We don't talk about them. And there's some wisdom in that, right? Completely unrestrained desires can do a lot of damage. Um, Desire without discipline, desire without love can do incredible harm. But there's also something holy about desire. Our desire for relationship, connection, friendship, our yearning to be loved. Our desire for healing and wholeness and sustenance, none of these are bad things. And they just might be holy. Where does desire come from? That's something I thought about a lot this week. Why do we yearn for connection with others? And why does disconnection hurt so badly? It could all boil down to biology, right? Um, We evolved as communal creatures. It was uh, evolutionarily advantageous for human beings to live in groups. That's true, like the the data's there, that checks out. But that can't be the whole story. 
there, there's a spiritual component that's missing there. What if we experience desire because it's how we're created? What if desire comes from God? What if we serve a God who desires? The idea of God desiring things is uh, going to be pretty foreign for a lot of us. Um, our understanding of God, even in the church, is still very pagan, um, very much influenced by like ancient Greece, ancient Rome. What many of us envision when we say the word God still looks a lot more like Zeus or Odin, right, than it does the God of the Bible. We think about God as this sort of like cosmic sky daddy, right? God is this bearded old man up in the heavens somewhere, uh, mostly disconnected from our lives here on earth. You know, God comes down from time to time um, to, to do something for us, bless us if we've been good, or, or dole out some punishment if we've been naughty. Um, we ask God for things. Sometimes we get it, right? Our understanding of God sounds more like an absentee parent, almost. God is a deadbeat dad who, who, you know, calls six weeks late to wish us happy birthday. Really, that's, that's how we think about God. That's not the God of the Bible. The God described in Scripture is a passionate lover of creation and humanity. A God who desires connection. A God who yearns for relationship with us. A God who reacts like a scorned lover when we ignore God and worship other things. We find this depiction of God all over Scripture, uh, especially big in the Old Testament. God is usually depicted in the Old Testament, the, the metaphor that's most often turned to by the prophets and the poets is a marriage metaphor with God as the husband and Israel as the bride, the spouse. When God's people fall into sin and worship other gods, the prophets call them out for adultery. God establishes a covenant with God's people. Jesus talks about a new covenant that we're going to be celebrating today at the communion table. Covenant language is marriage language. The New Testament calls us the bride of Christ for Christ. This is, this is all over the Bible. It's hard to miss. Uh, I found this t-shirt on the internet this week. It's really funny. Um, it says, Jesus loves you. He's not in love with you. <laughs> Like, I want it. It's amazing. Um, <clears throat> it's really good. But it's wrong, actually. It, it misses the metaphor. God is in love with you. God is obsessed with you. God is a teenage girl or boy writing your name in a notebook over and over and over. Right? <laughs> That's how the Bible talks about God. By, by pagan standards, the God of the Bible seems pretty weak, right? Gods don't get broken hearts. Gods don't fall in love with us. Gods don't need stuff. They don't have desires. But the God of the Bible does. The God of the Bible craves relationship. Christians, we take this to a whole other level with the idea of the Trinity, um, anyone in here familiar with the Trinity? Really, no one's familiar with the Trinity. We have no idea what this exactly means. But the Trinity, um, if you're not familiar, 
is a notori- notoriously difficult doctrine to understand. Um, it comes from how the first Christians encountered God as both um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the idea, and we've got a, a, a diagram here that's not helpful at all. Um, <laughs> the idea is that God the Father is God, right? Jesus, God the Son, is God. The Holy Spirit is God, but the Father, Son, and Spirit are different. They're distinct from each other. But they're all God, and God is one. It makes no sense, right? Um, I have a Muslim friend who says that Christians are mathematically challenged. And she's probably right. Like, that's, that's fair. That's a fair critique. Um, personally, though, I think, I think the, the beauty in this, the gem in this, what the Trinity is getting at is the communal nature of God. God is community. God is relationship. God is intimacy. God is love. That's right from Scripture. 1 John 4, God is love. Not just um, God is loving or God is a lover or, or God loves us. Like, that's all true. But God is love. How can God be love unless God is expressed as some sort of community? The doctrine of the Trinity is telling us that when you boil it all down, get to the essence of who God is, God is not a bearded man in the sky. You know, disconnected from us, separated by himself, an individual, that's not God. When you boil it all down, in God's essence, God is a community of three persons. A fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almost like they're sitting around a table, like on the front of your bulletins. That picture. They exist in a state of love that is so holy, so powerful, so complete, that they are one. Their distinction isn't lost, but they are one. We point to this kind of ideal when we talk about marriage, right? We talk about two people becoming one flesh. Two people uniting in such a perfect, mystical, holy way that while their distinction is not lost, for all intents and purposes, they are one. Sometimes Christians will even talk about marriage as a three-stranded cord. Like you hear this language in some churches, the idea being that you've got like one spouse, the other spouse, and God, like a braid, you know? That's Trinity language. That's Trinitarian. When we think about God, when we imagine God in our heads, we should be thinking about something like this, a community of divine love. There's two points I want to draw out of this mystery uh, in light of Song of Songs. The first is that our desire for connection is divine. Our desire for connection, for relationship, for friendship is divine. It's holy. It's one of the things that makes us like God. Uh, One of the things that makes marriage unique from a, a Christian perspective is that we understand marriage as a sacrament. Uh, Marriage for us is an opportunity to encounter God, an opportunity to become more like God. 
when we show grace to our partners, uh, when we forgive, when we encourage, when we extend love and mercy, we're practicing to become more like Jesus. That can be true of other relationships as well, friendship, companionship, any sort of meaningful relationship can become sacramental. Um, I remember a longtime member of our church, Sue Edmonds, uh, who passed away from cancer just a couple years ago. Um, I was visiting her with her a lot, uh, first at our house on Park Avenue, uh, and then in hospice care. And she told me about this friend of hers from like years back, uh, an older man who she had cared for in the last days of his life. She would visit him, she would cook for him, she would do chores around his house and they would talk together. And she said that for some reason, she kept thinking of him. As she was in her last days, her mind kept returning to this guy that she had helped years before. And I remember I was like, of, of course, of course your mind's going there. Of course you can feel his presence. He's here. That bond, that love, that connection you had, that friendship is holy. God is in that. Our desire for community is divine. As we grow in love, we grow in God. That's the first point I want to make. Second is the flip side of that. We need to cultivate our desire for God. If our connection, our relationships with other people is an opportunity to encounter God, if it reveals something about God, it should also be teaching us about how we can relate to God. Our desire for God. To be totally honest, um, I don't often think about desiring God, longing for God. That's not, that's not my default category. I spend most of my time up here, right? Uh, for a long time, God was more of an idea for me. God was um, something that I thought about a lot, something I debated and argued about, something I believed in, not something I desired. That's probably true for many of us in here, I would bet. If we're honest, a lot of us don't desire God. That's not the language we would use. We worship God, we pray to God, we believe in God. But we don't long for God like we would a spouse or a partner or a friend. But that's the kind of love Song of Songs is directing us to. Uh, the book of Psalms offers the same sort of wisdom. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer longs for flowing water, so my soul longs after you, O God. That love, that de desire, that passion. I'm also reminded of a quote from St. Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Some of you already get this. Uh, for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, some of you folks, and you know who you are. I know who you are. Super spiritually attuned. Uh, I'm thinking of my, my prayer warriors out there, my, my lapsed Pentecostals, right? <laughs> you know what it is to desire God. That's an experience you can relate to. The rest of us need that. That. 
People like me who spend way too much time in our, he- in our heads, we need to see your desire, your passion, your love for God. We need to see you encountering God. We need to see your testimonies of how God is working in your life. We need you in this worship space with your hands raised in praise. We need you in our church. We need to see your desire for God. And for those of us like me who maybe struggle with this one a little bit, if you struggle to feel that sense of longing for God, um, I have a few suggestions, a few tips. And I didn't have time to put these in the slides, so if you're the note-taking type, feel free to write these down. First tip is to find new ways to pray. Find new ways to pray. If you're not already involved in some sort of daily prayer practice, start with that. Start by taking 10, 15 minutes in the morning and spending that time in prayer. Just start with the Lord's Prayer and see where it goes. Um, Try sitting with your palms open and inviting God into that space. Try praying outside in nature, maybe in the spring, right? Like, try a new space to pray in. Um, You can try praying with an image. Our friends in the Eastern Orthodox Church, you know, um, Greek Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, they they really have a lot of wisdom in this that they've tapped into. Uh, This picture on the slide is what's called an icon. Um, I have another icon uh, of Jesus tattooed on my forearm. Orthodox Christians for centuries have used images like these as visual aids in prayer. They meditate in front of them. They look at them when they pray. They stare into them, almost like it's a window into God. If you have a hard time talking to God, try something like that. Try using your imagination. It's no different from how in our houses we have pictures of family and friends, many of whom maybe aren't in our lives anymore. Same idea. Use your imagination to talk to God. Another thing you can do um, if you struggle with this, find something else you love, something else you desire. Um, Maybe it's something you've always wanted to do, a habit you've wanted to get into, a new hobby you want to explore, and do it for love of God. Find that thing, invest time in it, invest energy in it, and use that time to be, to be thinking about God and, and doing it for God's glory. And if you're still not feeling that desire for God, it might be worthwhile to examine your other relationships. Is there something out of whack in your family? Um, are you out of sync with your spouse? Is there a friend you're disconnected from? Remember that image of Adam with all those relationships. They're all connected. Trouble in one area, tension, disconnection in one area is going to seep into the others. Maybe it's time to make a phone call or have a conversation or work through some stuff with a therapist. Reestablish that last connection and allow the fruit of that relationship to flow into your desire for God. God loves you because God is love. The Father, Son, and and Spirit are inviting us into their community, their fellowship. They want to share that perfect love with us. All we have to do is open our hearts and let them in. 
Let's pray. God of desire, thank you, Lord, for making us in your image and for putting your love in our hearts. Help us to desire connection with you, Lord. Help us to honor you with our desires, our relationships with others. And God, help us to encounter you in every experience of love and connection. Thank you, Lord, for that perfect love at the core of your being and for sharing that love with us, for inviting us into covenant with you right here at this communion table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.